Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12, which is the last chapter in the book of Daniel. I have to admit that I'm kind of glad to see the last chapter in the book of Daniel. It's God's Word. It's God's perfect Word for us, but it has been a trial. And so I hope that it has been a blessing to you. It definitely has been a blessing to me as a pastor, as a teacher of God's Word. Next week we will begin a study in the book of Philippians, and so I encourage you to begin reading ahead. That's the kind of book that you can literally read every day, the whole thing. Just listen to it on your way to work. Definitely will be worth your time and effort toward that, and so we'll spend uh, pretty much until Christmas in that book. Before we uh, come to Daniel chapter 12, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word this morning, as we prepare to look at this last chapter of the book of Daniel, as even if I have admitted, had admitted my difficulty with this book and Lord, help us to understand Your Word. The difficulty that we have understanding, comprehending Your Word is not because You are confusing. It is not because You are attempting to mislead us or keep things veiled. It is quite the opposite. It is our own sin It is our own difficulty. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to Your Word, that You would cast those things down, that we might hear Your Word plainly, and that we might see You presented plainly as the author and perfecter of our faith, this faith that is a gift to us from You. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen. So as I've read through this passage, it made me think of something that I'd read recently about uh, an explorer in the early 20th century who was going to the South Pole. And that was back in the early 20th century, there were still parts of our world that were generally unexplored and unknown. And so there was this man by the name of Robert Falcon Scott. I just needed to say his whole name because it just goes, and he was a captain. So he's Captain Robert Falcon Scott. And he led a team to the South Pole. This was 1911, so you can imagine. It's, you know, it's, it's 100 plus years ago now. And they get to Antarctica, and it's going to take them several months to get through the snow and the ice and all the difficulty that Antarctica presents in order to get to the South Pole. And their hope is that they would be the first team to ever see the South Pole. There was a long and difficult journey ahead of them, but the journey would be worth it, right? Because of the prize that is at the end. As we come to the end of the book of Daniel, we've been on a bit of a journey ourselves. We've watched Daniel grow from a boy to an old man, faithfully serving the pagan kings of the ancient Near East, living in this foreign land, longing to return home and to see Jerusalem again and to worship among His people, yet all the while having this work that must be finished necessarily, receiving God's Word that He might write them down for all time. 
so that the people can hear the Lord's Word to them and be blessed. And for whatever reason, at the end of Daniel's task, he doesn't make it home. He ends up living out his days in this Persian empire for whatever reason, the Lord's choice in his life. As we come to this final section, we have something to hope for as well as we as we are quickly told in this passage in chapter 12 what we have to hope for. But we're also left with some unknown things, wondering how all these things were going to take place in the final days. We'll discover that God's plan is that we trust in Him rather than knowing all the things that we would want to know So as we look at this text today, we'll consider two main ideas. First, the hope of resurrection. And then finally, the rest in God's decree. So with that, let's look together at the text, Daniel chapter 12 in its entirety. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Daniel 12, starting at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is in charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, never as or such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt." And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, one on the bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream, And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that And that, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335th days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So remember last week, we looked at Daniel 11. which Daniel 11 was a very long text concerning the various events that would transpire 
about the kingdom of Alexander the Great, and we talked a little bit about him, and then the division of that Greek empire into four separate kingdoms, and we dealt mainly with the two north and south kingdoms and how that was going to be split and there was going to be trouble there. We looked at the final picture there, this final future figure that we identified or the Bible identifies as this Antichrist or the man of sin is called in the New Testament. This one who will usher in the last days before the return of Christ and the final consummation of the kingdom of God. And today we're going to continue in the same kind of line as the beginning of chapter 12 picks up where we left off in lots of ways. And then we have this bit at the end of chapter 12 that's a little bit harder to figure out. As I've learned, and if I've learned anything through going through this book of Daniel, um, that when you come to God's Word, you have to be ready to learn. And you have to be ready to be corrected. Many times in my own hermeneutic or my own way of coming to the Scripture and my own method of interpretation, I've allowed the spiritual realm to kind of take a back seat to the things that we see in the here and now. And this is my own personality coming through. Because of my fear of oftentimes over-spiritualizing things, if you know me, you know that I'm just terrified of that, over-spiritualizing things and making things sound sappy. Many times I've under-spiritualized them in that effort. Daniel has taught me to see the spiritual realm and to see it that is much more than I thought it was, seeing the interactions of angels and demons, these things that I can't even fathom, reading of these future times, this future physical resurrection that we see here in our text today. It reminds me of the balance that we see in the Scriptures, that we live in a physical world full of difficulties and trials, but there is this world beyond us, the world beyond that we can see where struggle also exists, and the forces of God battle the forces of evil every day. But when I say that, don't hear me talking about some sort of dualism, right? Meaning God and Satan aren't co-equal powers warring back and forth, and we're just kind of standing by wondering and hoping for the, for the winner. They aren't the yin and the yang so to speak, eternally swirling about one another, but rather they are the creature, Satan, and the Creator, God. As we serve our Creator, we learn more of Him. And we need to keep this idea in our thoughts. It didn't stop existing when Jesus came either. And it'll be it'll go on until the last demon is tossed into the lake of fire on the last day. So that brings us to... The first point, the hope of resurrection. Verse 1, let's look at that again. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So at that time, is referring to this time of the Antichrist at the end of chapter 11, Michael, who we've heard of before in this book, is referred to this great prince of the angels. He's going to arise because there's some need for his work. And I don't think we have a picture here of the angel doing work in the physical realm. Again, I don't think that's what's going on. Rather, it's similar to what we read in chapter 10 with the battles of like these figures that we learned about called the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece. 
and others. But whatever the case, that may be, I'm not sure, obviously. Whatever the case, this Michael will arise, and what is his charge? To protect the people of God. Those whose name is written in the book will be protected by one of God's great generals. As we went through the book of Jude and on Wednesday nights, Lars taught through that book over several weeks, and I was reminded of a passage in Jude, in Jude verse 9, where it speaks of this Michael. And it speaks of there's a dispute between Michael and Satan concerning the body of Moses which is kind of this odd thing. It comes from this Jewish book called The Assumption of Moses. And it's not a scriptural book, so we shouldn't look at that as as something that is Scripture is God's Word to us. But it doesn't mean that the account there isn't true. In the book, there's a story of Satan contending for Moses' body because he claimed that Moses was a murderer as a young man and therefore Satan owned him. He was his body and he should take him away. And yet Michael, this archangel, stands over the body of Moses to protect it because his body didn't belong to Satan. It belonged to Jesus. Moses' murder was covered by the blood of Christ. We know that now. And it was washed, or he was washed of his transgressions, including that murder. He's being considered in the righteous in the eyes of the Father because of the work of Jesus, not because of Moses' own work. And so Michael, this angel of the Lord, was sent to stand guard over something that was the Lord's property. He was doing it in Daniel's day. He even does it in our own day. But even one as powerful and awesome as this archangel Michael still submits to a great authority. In Jude 9, you can read about it. Michael would not rebuke Satan with his own authority, which can't imagine seeing this figure and even this standoff that's happening here. But rather, he appeals to Christ saying, the Lord rebuke you. I think this is a reminder to us that even the greatest powers of the world, powers that we can't even comprehend that we think we can imagine, but our imaginations don't even come close. Even these great powers bow the knee to the one true King of kings and Lord of lords. He goes on in verses 2 and 3 describing this time of those who will sleep, who are asleep in the dust of the earth, will come awake. And we see this similar kind of language in the New Testament describing the future resurrection of the body. But notice... This isn't just for unbelievers, or just for believers, but this is for unbelievers as well. This is for, for all people. There's this mistaken belief that the unbeliever will just kind of simply cease to exist. It's called annihilationism. And it just states that rather than face eternal judgment, the eternal or the unbeliever will just go away. The believer will go to be with the Lord, but the unbeliever will just kind of cease. That there won't be anything left of them. Well, I think verse 2 here in Daniel 12 destroys that argument because it says that not only will they be there, but they will have an everlasting life. And that everlasting life is a life of everlasting contempt. So we have this word for the people of God that those who will rise to everlasting life and those who don't believe will rise to everlasting torment. And there will be those who will lead others to righteousness. We get that there in verse 3. That there was going to be those who are leading others to righteousness. I guess that is to mean that there's, it's possible for us to, to lead others to belief, which we see that in the New Testament. Christ actually commands us 
to do that. And they had this truth way back then with Daniel. Even though this was taught with Jesus and this taught way before Him and we have it today, the apostles have this truth. We have this truth. Why is that the case? Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Daniel was told to keep this book. He kept it. He saw it for what it was. And he kept it safe. And if this hope still exists, this hope for a physical resurrection in which we can be with the Lord for, for all eternity, and the opposite is true, that those who don't believe are going to have eternal torment, if this truth exists, then of course we should go about telling others. We should start in the church, of course, because no child of God should fear the things of this world. That we tell you, the church, that we have a hope for eternal, we have a hope for a future resurrection and eternal life with Christ. The reason that we don't have the fear is because the word of the Lord is true. Death is not our end. We have an end, and that end is forever with Christ. While we may leave this world, we have an eternal life with Christ in which we'll be forever clothed in His righteousness and we will have eternal rest. And we also know that the opposite exists for the unbeliever. But there's hope, right? There's hope that that unbeliever can turn to righteousness to receive eternal life. So if this is true, of course, it should be kept safe for all time. Because without it, there is no hope. This is the, this is the only hope, right? For eternal life. This is the only hope for all time. With it, there's hope. Without it, there's no hope. And so, for, for you today, if you're an unbeliever, you need to hear this. I want you to see this, that there's really only two paths, and they're both outlined here in Daniel chapter 12, these first few verses. We don't read about this third group of people that wake up and still have a choice to make. They, they wake up and they've made a choice in their life. And now they wake up to reap the reward of that choice, whether bad or good. And so I want you to see this. There's the path of eternal life, and that's with Christ alone. And there's a path of eternal contempt, and that is without Christ. And God grants both. Life for the one who believes, punishment for the one who doesn't. Life is found in the righteousness of Christ alone. If you would have eternal life, Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The last part of verse 4 is kind of strange here. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. But there's a, there's a passage in Amos chapter 8 that I read that kind of speaks the same language and it has to do with those who are seeking knowledge who are looking to find some word or word from the Lord and they're going to run to and fro and they're not going to find it. Because all the knowledge of the world cannot complete someone. Without Christ, they will continue to run to and fro searching for ultimate knowledge. But without the one true God, there is no hope. And I think even for the Christian, this quest for knowledge is something that we have to draw a line with because we can't know everything. And I think that's really important for us as we come to passages like Daniel chapter 12 where there's these things going on that we can't really understand and these days and these numbers and all this business that is really hard because of our own limitations. Not because the Lord is the Lord of confusion, but because we are people of sin and we struggle and we need help. And it's also because sometimes the Lord just chooses 
to limit us. And we see that in the next part of this passage that brings us to the next point, the rest in God's decree. Look with me at verses 5-7. through Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long... Shall it be the end to, or how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And so the question is, how long until we're going to see these things happen? Verse seven, and I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time that when the shattering of the, the power of the holy people comes to an end and all these things would be finished. So Daniel is back by a river seeing these men by a river. This is not the first vision that he's had with men standing by a river. And there's these two seemingly kind of powerful individuals and one of them asks, how long shall we, till we see an end of these wonders? Or essentially asking, when are these last times going to come about that you're speaking of? And there's an answer. We get this Kind of strange answer, right? This time and times and a half a time, and there's been lots of interpretations of this. There's more clarity concerning about that as you keep going forward, something about 1290 days. There's this conjunction with the idea that we've seen with this, uh, the abomination or abomination that makes desolate as we've talked about that as well, being that, being tied possibly to that Greek leader Antiochus Epiphanes who built the altar to Zeus and the temple of God and most people believe that's the abomination that makes desolate because it was just set up in the temple that they would worship Zeus in the temple of the Lord. But we have this figure who lifts his hands and swore by God concerning this time and the events and the details of the events that we've talked about will be a future reality for the people of God. And Daniel sitting here seeing all this I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine the kind of man that Daniel was to, to be as reserved as he was. And he, he asked the question, verse 8, I heard it, but did not understand. And then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he asked this question twice, and both times he's told to, go your own way, Daniel. Go your own way. Daniel did not get the answer that he wanted. He wanted to know, right, specifically what's going on. He's waited this whole time. He's been faithful. He's he's listened to all these images of weird monsters coming out of the ocean and flying goats and all this kind of stuff going on. And of course, and surely Daniel, by this point in his life, has earned an answer. Go your own way. That's what he was with the answer that he got. Dealing with all these visions. He's told to go his own way. Captain Robert Falcon Scott did find the South Pole. As he pulled into his final destination, he found another tent there with a dated letter showing that a team from Norway had beat him to his prize about a month previous. All that time and effort with no prize at the end. Did the fact that he didn't get, or did the fact that he had this disappointment about being second change the fact that he had finally got to his goal? I don't know. I had to ask him. He didn't quite make it back. It's an interesting story. But I think as we come to the end of this 
book, it even might seem a little bit anticlimactic to us. If we were hoping to get some real answers here, we're left with 1,290 days and things that we don't quite understand. But I believe there's something here for us. And it's the same answer that Daniel got from the angel. We are told to go our own way. As we've studied this book, there have been two very distinct ways that one might go, have there not? On one hand, we've looked at the pagan kings that Daniel served under, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Darius, all of whom had their own way. For each of them, you could say of them that they there was a way that seemed right unto them, but the end of it was in death. And Daniel told them as much. Daniel was very plain to them with things that weren't plain for them, right? They, they received these weird visions. Remember, uh, Belshazzar seen the writing on the wall and had no idea what it meant. And Daniel was very clear with them. He told them exactly what it meant. But they wouldn't be convinced. Nebuchadnezzar was shown a picture of the statue, remember, of the golden head. The statue was being shattered to pieces by a tiny rock that would grow and become the size of the whole world. But how did he respond? He built a whole statue out of gold because that's the right answer. For Belshazzar, the writing was on the wall and literally as Daniel told him that he had been weighed and measured and found wanting. But rather than believe Daniel, he went on partying as the Persians were scaling his walls even promoting Daniel to some office that would soon be non-existent, as non-existent as the Babylonian Empire would soon be. For these men, the way to go was self-glorification. And in it, there was no hope, only destruction. They knew the end was coming, and they lived as if it wasn't true. The other way we've studied, of course, was the life of Daniel, who chose to live a life set apart for service to the Lord first and foremost, but also in service to these pagan kings that he served. Daniel lived a life above reproach, and while many tried to tear him down, he continued to excel in all that he did, and he set himself apart as a man fit to do the work of God. He was even tossed into a lion's den for his work and for his devotion to God, and he lived to see another day. He could see all these visions of the future. And he did all this in a pagan land. It wasn't like he was comfortable in his own home and had a comfortable place to consider these things. He was away from his family. He was away from his house of worship. He was away from his God. And what we can tell from this book is that he took no wife, had no children, lived a long life in service to pagan kings who served pagan gods, And while they even paid lip service to the one true God, they never actually listened to Him. And they were all, one by one, eventually destroyed by Him. As I think about the world that we live in today, there's a very similar kind of thing going on. We're not in Daniel's situation directly, of course, thankfully. Especially here in this country, we have the freedom currently to worship the God that we choose, but in many ways we live in a society saturated with paganism and secularism. We live in a world where most everyone acknowledges the human condition, acknowledges that the human condition is difficult, that life is short and hard, 
even for people who have everything, those rules still apply. Death is the great equalizer between rich and poor. For some, they've, they've learned to deal with this and they've, they've accepted a kind of scientific explanation of all of it. That since we're just animals, that death is the end, that we should just go ahead and live like animals then. And they do. Seeking pleasure above all other pursuits, self-gratification to the point of self-destruction. But how do we live as believers knowing that the end is near? Whether it be our own end as our lives come to an end or that the Lord could finally decide to come back and put an end to this life here and now. Begin to set in place these events that we read about today and that we've read about in preceding weeks. How then should we live that we know the end is near Should we too just live however we want? Should we adopt this kind of hedonism that the world has adopted? Should we adopt escapism? Maybe we should just break off from the main society, stop caring for it altogether because it's lost, and just simply await our fate in the middle of some forest somewhere growing our own food. What is this way that we should go? Turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter three. And I'm going to read verses ten through fourteen. Again, consider the words of the angel to Daniel. Go your own way. Consider those words to us this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, as the apostle tells us something similar here. As he tells us to consider the end and how we should be in the end. Second Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since we are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish, and at peace. What way ought we to go? Lives of holiness and godliness, being diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish, to be at peace. It is the way of the world to give up and throw out all morality when faced with the end but it is the way of the children of God to be found without spot or blemish as we await the day of the Lord. As we've studied through the book of Daniel, I've cautioned us many times not to see Daniel as the goal. Right? We are not, we are not to dare to be a Daniel. We are not to hope that he is our example that we might one day be. He is an example of a faithful life, but he is not our goal. 
We know that the righteousness of Christ is what saves us. That righteousness comes from Christ alone. That any righteousness that we or Daniel can muster will fall short of God's perfect standard. That is still true today. But as we finish this book, one of the major takeaways is that Daniel was shown these amazing things from the future, was given a great mind with which to comprehend and understand them. He knew that things were going to continue to get worse for God's people as they awaited the coming Messiah, that He was going to die and things had not got better yet. Yet, He continued His work. Jesus said no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back his fit for the kingdom of God. Daniel put his hand to the plow and he powered forward, living a life of righteousness and holiness. And even though he was in the midst of his enemies, he lived at peace with them. The same is set forth for us today as well. We shouldn't come away from Daniel thinking that we have to earn more of Jesus by being more like Daniel because we can't get more of Jesus. We are safe and secure in His righteousness alone. Yet that doesn't change the commandment that we have at the end and as the end nears, either our end or Christ's return. Go your way, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a way of peace. That is a way of godliness. And that is a way of holiness. And as the end draws near, tell others about the hope that we have in Christ. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, as we come to You, after hearing these words, we pray that You would help us to go this way that we ought to go. To be less concerned about the things that we can't comprehend and be concerned about the things that we know to be true, that we have been made secure in Christ our Lord, that we have His righteousness, that You are preparing a place for us for all eternity, and You have called us to be found without spot or blemish, that You have called us to be at peace. Lord, we pray that You help us as we go about that task. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.